You are listening to The Quest for 100, a discussion on everything you never knew you wanted to know. And now your hosts, Justin and Brian. Welcome back, Questers. We're on that quarantine quest, Justin. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's super exciting, man. Questing from home. Yeah. Yeah, Justin's calling in again, keeping that, that stay-at-home order that we've got here in the state of Washington. So uh, we, are, we are both staying at home per orders. I wouldn't say this is essential travel or, or work that we're doing here. I was debating it, Brian. I, I, I had to look it up what essential meant because I thought for sure that this podcast was essential. Yeah. Apparently it's not. Oh. Um, so here we are from home. Yeah, but we are going to talk. We're going to talk about Seattle, the city, and, and I think it's fitting that that Seattle as a city is pretty much shut down, and we decide to talk about it as a whole. Yeah, no, I, it's a uh, it's a weird time. I mean, the, the country's going through a lot. Uh, Seattle, obviously, being one of the first ones to go through this. This is a uh, extra interesting time to to just talk about a topic like this where like a city um that most cities are in mo- mostly shut down right now which is kind of crazy yeah yeah well uh since before we jump into seattle what have you been up to since the last time that we talked yeah so not a ton different than the last week as i'm sure most people are going through i've found some more time to connect with my family, which is always good. We try to do some video calls. Uh, and I, I was just talking to my mom. I'm talking to my mom more than I usually do, which is always good. But, uh, but yeah, so just kind of staying busy with that. I've uh, been playing more Xbox to just keep my mind, you know, moving on different things. Uh, and my wife and I, Alyssa, we, uh, we're trying to go, for walk a day and that's was easier last week uh this week in seattle it's been uh typical seattle weather yeah overcast and rainy and i don't know about you brian we just got like a massive hailstorm that just came through yeah i i i did take a walk about an hour and a half ago before i knew that uh, i knew that the rain was going to come because uh, it was kind of sunny about an hour and a half ago. And then, you know, yeah. about 30 minutes ago, it just was gloomy. So, yeah, no, it, it came down really hard here. But, uh, but yeah, we got our walk in today before then. And, you know, we've been try- pretty, pretty consistent with that throughout, throughout the week. Uh, or weeks that we've been working from home. I think it's been now, this is the third week for this. So just making, making it work. What yeah. about you? Yeah. Well, I, uh, I did get a, a round of golf in before the governor put in place the stay at home order, which closed all the golf courses up until I think it was yesterday, or I guess by the time this is released, it, it will just have gone into effect golf courses and and some of those more recreational areas were still open now you saw massive amounts of people in beaches and in parks and things that were not socially distancing but i feel like golf is one of those things where you're kind of automatically socially distancing yourself just to play the game you know at at most you're with four people and 
those four people are then at least 200 yards apart from another group of four. So, um, and, and most of the time those four people aren't even all that close together other than, you know, right. tee shots and hitting into the green and all that kind of stuff. But, um, did play some golf and then just, yeah, I, I uh, since getting back from New Zealand and all, I, I just had to make sure I was stocked up and, and ready to go for the impending, you know, self-quarantine self-isolation and, and stay-at-home order so um now kind of getting in a rhythm and and doing this telecommuting thing i i gotta say it's it's sometimes hard to find stuff to do you know throughout the yeah. day because it's like you know maybe at work you're at least sitting at your computer and, you, and you're kind of feeling like uh, maybe you're not always working on something but you're feeling like you're being productive and then at home it's like all right i did something for 45 minutes i got it done all right now what yeah <laughs> and yeah. and then it's like almost this pressure to go right on to the next thing so i've gotten a lot of stuff done i just uh, I, at some points i'm just like all right i'm done you know yeah. that's it for today yeah i i had to change my workspace or my environment uh, after like the first week and a half just because I was I was working from the couch. Oh yeah, not a good I idea. I was just like, you know, I do I I was getting a lot done, but then I would find myself like, I'd, oh, I'll just take a break or I'll do that, whatever, and then I'll try to make up that time, and I come and and working late, and it's just all over the place. So now I have like a workspace, you know, in our our like sitting room, as as I guess I would call it, and I'm like set up with the with the dog uh, nearby and, uh, just looking out the window, uh, as I get my work done and then I can leave that space, which is nice. Yeah. So I don't feel like I have to keep working after that. So yeah, that's been a pretty big change for me. Yeah. And I got to say, both of us are fortunate to have houses and, and so not in, you know, small studio apartments or anything like that. I right. imagine that's very difficult to, to be in a smaller confined space. We both have, you know, different rooms that we can go into, whether it be an area for our work and, and then kind of our normal time and, and obviously, you know, sleeping and, and that type of thing, you know, so we're very fortunate in that way. And, and I think that helps a lot. I, I can't imagine being stuck in, you know, my bedroom and doing all this work and eating and everything like some people might be in, you know, the greater Seattle area and, and down in Los Angeles and some of those other areas. Yeah. Should we, uh, should we jump into the news for Seattle? Yeah, let's do it. it it's a little hard to find, but, uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if you found other stuff outside of the, the virus attacking Seattle, but let's check out the news. You're a newsman. I ever tell you otherwise. So my news story, I, I had to dig pretty deep on the Google uh, pages in terms of Seattle news to try to find something that wasn't COVID-19 related or coronavirus sure. related. But I did find something. And, you know, it's it's fairly relevant story or recent story. It was published in January, late January. But it was about a, a vault that is under the Seattle Municipal Tower and it's where this the city stores hundreds of art pieces. And I didn't realize this. Uh, I, I thought it was very interesting. But basically for every project uh, or building that has been 
built or renovated for the past 40 years, the city has used about 1% of the project's cost to buy art. And usually that art is displayed on site, but there are certain uh, buildings or renovations that don't need art. And they will still spend that 1% or use that 1% and buy art. So they have this storage vault for that extra artwork that doesn't get on display at the time it is bought. And so they, they this uh, Seattle Times reporter did a little piece on this vault and was able to go down into the vault as some of the city council members were actually able to select some art pieces they were they were newly selected um, city council members and and so you know as someone new you were able to dress up your office and check out what art pieces there were and apparently there's there's over uh, 3,000 pieces of of art in Seattle's total collection around the city and you know right now I think there's about uh, 300 uh, pieces that they they have in the uh, the vault per se. So I just thought it was kind of interesting that that there's kind of this uh, set aside thing, you know, in all of these projects that you know don't really get talked about, you know. And they actually said last year the city spent a uh, hundred and thirty seven thousand dollars on seventy eight portable art pieces. So that's averaging about $1,743 per piece of artwork. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. It's such an interesting, like, setup that they have. And, you know, they're making the most out of it. But then to have them all, like, sitting in a vault and allowing some people to get access to it, it's, I don't know, it's interesting. Yeah. And, like, they do themes. So, like, when they they redid the Seattle Public Utilities site um you know they asked for you know art pieces on the relationship between people and water systems and you know they were asking uh, artists in the pacific northwest for all these submissions so um just kind of interesting you know you don't really think about that in terms of a um a city thing and having to dress up you know uh areas and how they actually get the artwork i always i guess i always thought they got it donated so yeah Cool. Did not know that. Well, mine is, I was disconnecting as much as I could from all the, you know, stuff going on with, with COVID-19 and, and the coronavirus. Um, though mine is re- relatively related to it because it's recent news is that, you know, with, with a lot of the businesses shutting down while, you know, all of us are stuck at home and across the entire country i think this is a more relevant thing a lot of the local businesses in seattle are are kind of coming together to put a, put together some live streams of their specific things uh, while their doors are shut so i thought it was interesting you know the you have the seattle aquarium where you can watch live footage of the sea otters which is a really prominent thing in seattle or especially our our aquarium our aquarium is not you know mind-blowing and in the you know u.s ranks of aquariums i'm sure um but sea otters is like our our big claim to fame and seattle's big claim to fame so you can watch them you can go you know university of washington is a big tourist attraction or at least for the locals here to go watch 
the cherry blossom trees. Yeah. And so they actually have uh, some live uh, streams of the blooming trees. Uh, so you can kind of watch that from home and, exp- and, and experience that without actually being in a crowded place to watch them. Uh, and then you have, you know, the Museum of Flight that has a virtual tour of their uh, piece or their um, planes there. The Pacific Science Center has a bunch of digital activities uh, around STEM. And there's a lot of companies that are trying to keep people active, which is really hard in this time. But there's a company like uh, it's called Postures that are just doing zo- yoga classes via Zoom, which I thought was kind of cool. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I, I picture Zoom as, you know, a business related thing, or maybe you, you now people are starting to use it to hang out, but to actually teach classes and like act, active classes is pretty cool. Yeah. So, so a lot of those like Seattle business come together, I thought um, was really cool. And then, but even more, less related to Seattle per se, but also kind of related to Seattle. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, if none of that stuff's for you, then Amazon, a of course local Seattle company, just launched Amazon Prime Video Cinema. Have you heard about this, Brian? I haven't, no. Yeah, so they just launched this, I think, yesterday or two days ago. We're recording this, on, I think, on a Tuesday. But in essence, it's what you can see at the theater, you can now watch through this Prime Video Cinema. Wow. So you you know you like i think there's a lot of movies out right now like knives out parasites and like any movie you can think of that's out right now yeah because the theaters are closed they're now doing this new service that um you can just watch it from home hmm. and it, it's a little bit more expensive than you know if you're gonna you know rent a red box or or you know even rent a movie or whatever because these are new movies but for like 20 bucks, you can watch a new movie in the comfort of your own home. So for like my wife and I, like that actually saves us some money. Um, if you're watching movies with a family or even just to save on the food, you know, we did that popcorn episode. You save some money on on the actual you know food you would have bought at a theater. You can just watch it from home. So I just thought that was awesome. Kudos to Amazon. I'm sure they had it already in the works and just the timing worked out perfectly for them. But I just think it's a revolutionary type of thing in this tech industry to do that type of thing. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it, it would not pay off for me by myself. Probably not, but, I, but there are different movies and, and like, that's for like the 4k HD, which oh. I would use. But like, if I think there's, there's other movies and depending on the movie, it might be, it might be less so. So, um, but definitely we'll get into it. I, I'm, I haven't watched, the first one yet or my first one yet but i will i want to test it out and just see how what the experience is like yeah all right well uh let's uh drop some knowledge as we normally do brian, i yeah we no we I'm normally stopping you bury the I'm lead stopping you brian yeah you buried it yeah sorry un- un- unbury this lead brian okay why are we talking about seattle why is it relevant to us well we both live in Seattle. So I've lived in Seattle. Ish. Yeah, I guess we both live in suburbs of Seattle. I actually don't go into Seattle very often, I'll be honest. Okay. I have lived here for, let's see, 10 years now. Yeah. yeah. A little over 10 years. You know, always lived in a suburb of Seattle. I'm not a big city guy, so I will never live in downtown Seattle. 
nor do I really like to go into downtown Seattle. <laughs> I I just I don't like that many people. I'd probably love it right now. <laughs> yeah. But Oh but yeah, I'm, you'd probably enjoy it just walking around with nobody there. Yeah, I'm a country guy. Grew up in, in small little Pullman on the other side of the state and you know, there are things about Seattle, downtown Seattle that I do like, but man, you know, between traffic and and all the people, it's just it's just not for me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that's good. Yeah, so for, on my end, I've been living out here. Obviously, um, if you've listened to previous podcasts, I've been I'm here from Philadelphia, and I've been living out in Seattle area for about seven years now. I was a suburbs person in outside of Philly, and so I was very much a suburbs person coming out to Seattle, but, but my wife and I, or fiancé at the time, we decided to to get an apartment in the city and so we did oh, two did years you? yeah we did two years in belltown which is a for those that don't know is kind of kind of like a downtown of seattle there's a lot of prominent tourist attractions in that area and uh yeah so we did two years there and then decided to move to the suburbs but I would say I didn't expect to like the city. I really liked the city. I enjoyed living there. I miss at times living there, though I do like the space. Um, just the amount of amenities. Seattle is just has such a great vibe to it. I, I was so used to cities being very unsafe and, you know, crammed and all that. And there's still elements of that to Seattle by all means. But where we were i just i really liked it you could just kind of walk out go for a walk go to a new restaurant every single night if you wanted um there just was so much to do and and be around so i i really love seattle as a city i think it's it's one of the best cities in the country and i uh i'm excited to to talk more about it all right well now we're going to drop some knowledge <laughs> As we normally do, I'm the history guy and Justin is the stats guy. There's obviously a lot of history surrounding Seattle and, and probably a lot of knowledge that we're, we're not going to give to you in this, you know, hour time period. So just, uh, you know, take what we, we uh, give you on, on just kind of the surface level of things. But, you know, it's really Seattle, this area has been inhabited, you know, for about the last 10,000 years, really since the end of the last glacial period archaeologists uh, have actually found remnants of settle uh, settlements from about 4,000 years ago in an area called Discovery Park over by Magnolia which is is uh, it's a pretty good trek from downtown it's, it's a very nice area yeah. so the Duwamish and Suquamish tribes the Native American tribes actually had 13 villages within the present day city limits one of the most notable villages in this area was where the current King Street Station or, or pretty close to CenturyLink Field, uh, the football stadium here. And this was where the birthplace of Chief Seattle was. Uh, he was also known as Chief Stealth Stealth, or um, some other like variations, which I didn't realize because there was actually a Chief Stealth High School in Seattle. Oh, okay. Named after chief seattle or chief self I, I guess that's the same person so 
But uh, George Vancouver was the first European to visit the Seattle area in May of, of 1792 during his expedition to charter the uh, Pacific Northwest. Uh, the founding of Seattle is usually dated to the arrival of the Denny Party on September 25th, 1851. There's actually a, a street called Denny in uh, in Seattle and named oh, okay. after Denny. Uh, I never realized that. Yeah. You drive on Denny all the time and never realized it. I yeah. guess every street's named after something. Yeah. So the Denny's original site uh, was an unfair finished cabin without a roof that was located on Alki Point uh, in West Seattle. Also around this time, Luther, the Luther Collins party arrived and they settled in the Georgetown area. Uh, shortly after, you know, one winter on Alki, the Denny party actually abandoned their original site on Alki uh, for a better protected site on Elliott Bay, which is where downtown Seattle currently is. David Swinson a.k.a. Doc Maynard, uh, began settling the land immediately south of Denny's. Uh, Maynard befriended Chief Seattle and eventually named the city after him. And and he would eventually become one of the the bustling areas of of the settlements. And and so actually the first, uh, nearly all of the first 60 businesses uh, were founded within Maynard's property. So early in the decades of the city, the uh, city relied on the timber industry and actually would ship logs to San Francisco from here. So Henry Yesler, also Yesler is a a street here in Seattle, uh, he brought the first steam sawmill to the region and really started uh, the boom of the timber industry. Uh, Charlie Terry, who traveled with the Denny Party, uh, he stayed on Alki when when the Denny Party moved to Elliott Bay, and he had a store that he had started on Alki, and he started acquiring a lot of land around Seattle, and he eventually gave a land grant to the University of the Territory of Washington, which eventually became University of Washington. But I think I'm going to have to call. I think I'm going to have to call the UW University of the Territory of Washington from now on. You should. Yeah, I think they would like that. Yeah, yeah. All the all the, <laughs> the UW uh, alumni. Yes. So January 25th, 1856, the B- Battle of Seattle, which is interesting because sometimes people use the Battle of Seattle as like sports things, but uh, the Battle of Seattle was actually the f- a fight between the Native American people and the settlers. And I, I found this little tidbit. So a, a shortage of marriageable women in Seattle prompted pioneer Asa Mercer to make a, a t- to make actually two trips to New York City in 1864 to recruit prospective brides. He brought back a hundred women who became known as the Mercer Girls. What? Yeah. What? What year is this? 1864. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in January 14th, 1865, Seattle became incorporated, uh, but the charter was actually voided four days later after questionable activities for the of the town's elected leaders. Uh, at that point, the population was about 350, 
it it took them uh, four more years until December second of eighteen sixty four when they actually reincorporated um, and finally became a a, a true incorporated city. Eighteen seventy three, the Northern Pacific Railway announced that it had actually chosen Tacoma over Seattle as the western terminus of its transcontinental railroad. Uh, at the time, the railroad barons they figured that they could more easily buy up the property around a terminal in Tacoma than a well-established city of, of Seattle. So that's why they chose that city down there. Uh, and then in, in 1889, we actually had a great Seattle fire. Did you know that, that there was a Seattle fire? Yes. Yeah, so this is where I start to under, or remember some of what I've learned in moving out here is you know the seattle fire and and probably the next couple things you're going to talk about yeah so uh it it was actually start started by a pot of glue that that uh burned 28 or 29 city blocks it did destroyed nearly all of the business district all of the railroad terminals and all but four of the wharves and it was interesting actually also in 1889 Ellensburg, which is a city in central Washington, and Spokane, which is a city in eastern Washington, all had pretty major fires in their city center areas that summer. Huh. Must have been a rough summer. Yeah. Pretty hot, I I would guess. Yeah. And, and, you know, at that time they were building a lot of the buildings with wood and, and a little bit with brick, but not as much. And so when they rebuilt, they also rezoned and coded everything. So now, now they started to build everything in downtown Seattle uh, with brick and stone. And they actually built it, rebuilt very quickly. And this kind of, you know, really meant there was a boom in, in Seattle because of so much need for construction that a lot of these um, outside people would come in and help with the construction of these cities, which would would then increase the population of the city. Shortly after that, in 1897, uh, the Klondike Gold Rush caused another boom in the Seattle area as this was kind of the jumping off point to, to get up to the Yukon Territories for all the gold miners after you know the the finding of gold up there uh, on August seventeenth, nineteen o seven, Pike Place Market first opened. That kind of iconic uh, location, you know, a market in um, right on the edge of of one of the big hills, and it overlooks the city and and everything. So um, that first opened in nineteen o seven. So it between. 1911 and, and 1917, they continued to, you know, connect the uh, Lake Washington and Fremont and, and um, some of these areas uh, and built the government locks, which I believe are now the Ballard locks, uh, which dropped the, the level of the, uh, the lake of Lake Washington. And it actually meant that there was a river that was running out of the south end of Lake Washington that completely dried up because uh, they dropped the the um, level of the lake and basically emptied Lake Washington to get it all on the same level as, as Lake Union. Um, hmm. Seward Island, which eventually became uh, Seward Peninsula, uh, as we know it now, and that's where the site of, of Seward Park is. Um, I didn't realize that that was actually an island at one point, but that for anybody who you know is from the area, that kind of shows you how much the level of the water actually dropped. 
because you know the actual peninsula part is a pretty good uh, distance above the the waterline as it sits now. Uh, in 1911, private rail lines and and docks, you know, were all privatized, but this was reformed and um, the city built a port owned and operated by local government. And then this eventually allowed for the expansion and and eventual creation of SeaTac Airport in 1948. In 1924, Seattle's uh, Sandpoint Airfield, which is a little bit north of, of where the University of Washington was, and I don't, the airfield no longer exists, but in terms of where they consider Sandpoint, it was actually the endpoint for the first aerial circumnavigation of the world, which I didn't know. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, world War II, during that time, the, there was a big boom uh, for needings of, needing of ships and planes. And, you know, planes with having Boeing uh, being uh, in the area, they, these planes became in high demand. And so there was another boom of the city. And this actually saw uh, the construction of, of most of our freeways at that point. So we have uh, two fairly major freeways, or well, I guess it's technically three, but we have I-5 uh, that runs through from north and south uh, through the downtown area. And then we have I-90 that runs east and west. Um, and actually the, the end of I-90, because um, I-90 runs all the way to Boston, the end of I-90 is uh, at in Seattle just shortly after it intersects with I-5. And then we also have uh, I-405 um, that runs up the kind of suburban side, uh, north and south. But in 1962, uh, Seattle hosted the World's Fair, which we've uh, I think we've talked about a lot of other World's Fairs. Um, so the Seattle Center was built with the Pacific Science Center and the Space Needle, and then also there was a monorail that was constructed that's still in existence today. In 1971, the first Starbucks opened, and where actually everybody thinks the first Starbucks is, which is p- fairly close to uh, Pike Place Market, actually is not the first location of the Starbucks. It's actually two or two thousand Western Avenue was the original site, and it was there, but it moved in 1976. So it was only there for five years until it moved to 1912 Pike Place Avenue. In 1979, Microsoft moved from New Mexico to the suburbs of Seattle, which again increased the boom of the city. And then the last uh, date that I have in here is is that in 1999. The city of Seattle hosted the World Trade Organization's Ministral Conference, which was really the first great street confrontation between the anti-globalization market and the WTO. And, you know, I was, I guess I was 13 at that time, um, living over in eastern Washington, and I have vague memories of that, but, like, I, I... don't think I really put it together that it was actually Seattle until I read this in, in this article. Interesting. Yeah, I don't. I bet you probably don't even remember it or, or nope. know about it at all. But uh, yeah, yeah, it, it um, was a pretty interesting time um, for for 1999, and and then you know we're here today and and isolated. 
isolated. Yeah. There was two things that I wanted to, well, actually one that I wanted to bring up now and one I'll bring up later. But the, one of the interesting things, and when I was driving out, when I originally got the job to come out and see to Seattle, you know, I obviously started to do research into like, Oh, where are some cool things in Seattle? What are some things I wanted to do? And like the top of my list was what was called and is called the Seattle underground. Uh, and there's a Seattle underground tour. I don't know if you're familiar with it, Brian. Yeah. Uh, never been on it, but yeah. So we ended up doing that and I felt like I learned a good amount uh, about Seattle and that just in that one instance. But one of the cool things you mentioned, I didn't want to cut you off as you were talking, but one of the, the interesting things after there was, I think, maybe two fires that happened and it was like the late 1800s. Well, when they re, and I, I don't want to misquote this, but what you were talking about, they had to rebuild things and, and do yeah. all of that. Well, they had, they had issues with flooding too. And so they would have to, they built the roads up really high. And when they did that, the businesses were still see, like two stories down, but the roads were up high. And so um, one, they had all these issues with continued with flooding, but at least the the horse and buggy or whatever it may be could still operate without going trudging through mud. But they um, they did that, and and eventually they said, okay, we need to really fix this because uh, one of my this is a terrible memory, but one of the things that they talked about is that the bars would be down on the the ground level, and when somebody would go to a bar you would climb down this ladder and then you would go to the bar and then you'd get drunk and you'd have to climb up a ladder oh, up two stories and people would die and, and or fall and die because they're drunk and they you know fall off a ladder. And so they eventually they said, okay, we need to really fix this. So that's when they started to build, build up and build like flat land uh, to avoid the flooding. And the, craziest part with all of this and why I, I highly recommend the underground tour to someone who may never have been to Seattle is that they built on top of all this stuff. So there's still remnants of buildings that are underground, like underneath Seattle, like Seattle's very hilly. Yeah. Um, and like I, I, when we, you can walk through some of the areas of this tour um, and it's not like crazy. You're not like walking into a house type thing. But you can kind of see, oh, here, here is like a safe that was in the wall, or he was like a door that's still kind of there. And here's the, it's just, it's crazy fascinating that there's this underground area under Seattle. And I, we only saw a piece of it, but I'm sure there's even more that just either nobody knows about, or maybe the rats of Seattle know much about. Um, but it's just this fascinating piece of history to, the seattle area and and made it to in a lot of ways made it to be what it is today yeah you talk about the um the hilliness of of seattle and what i found was interesting is that the seattle was actually more hilly originally and they've actually regraded it multiple times throughout the history uh to try to flatten it out a little bit and and you know give more land area down by what is the Duwamish River that comes out, um, you know, kind of right south of, of downtown. And and so you have some of these like little islands that have been created because of the regrading uh, process. And, and so 
I didn't realize. I always thought, oh, like it's really hilly. This is how it was, but it's actually because you know it could have been much more hilly. And yeah. then, and then you talk about the the underground area. You know, one of the things, and I didn't really find it here, but I know I've heard it before, is is the idea of of Shanghaiing people, where you know, obviously the being a port and you know a a uh, timber industry. You know, the bars and, and brothels and things like that were very prevalent. And, you know, when people got too intoxicated, uh, you'd hear stories or there were stories of, of people getting shanghaied, which basically meant you would, you know, the bartender made, you know, hit a button and and it would drop the person, you know, the drunk patron into the underground that you're talking about. And oh. they would then be almost treated as a slave and, and shipped off you know um somewhere what? like shanghai yeah oh my gosh i did not know that that's crazy huh yeah um not that uh, seattle it's uh, i mean you mentioned this off the bat but we're talking about a city and one of the younger cities in the united states um but still a city that has hundreds of years of history and it's hard to talk we could we could literally do a full podcast on the fires and like a certain like a 10-year period in seattle's history so you know uh, kudos to to painting as much as you could with that brian because there's just so much there but uh but yeah so i'll i'll jump in i'll i'll breeze through some some stats and i wanted to first kind of set the picture of what seattle is right now and then some interesting weird stats i guess along the way or well, so right now in Seattle proper, there are 745,000 people. And now, again, I say Seattle proper. There's a lot of surrounding area areas and, and towns like Renton is considered the Seattle DMA or the area. But, uh, but just kind of trying to hone in on Seattle proper for this. But they that 745,000 makes it the 18th largest city in the United States. Uh, but it has grown 22% in the last 12 years, making it really the, the most booming city among uh, those with 300,000 300, uh, or more residents. 22% for a big city is crazy. So, you know, if you, you hear about so many different factors, the housing market, all this other stuff, and it's because people are coming to Seattle for a variety of amenities, but also the business is good. There's a lot of tech here. And so we've seen a really strong spike in the number of people. Which is um, kind of crazy that, because it's not like Seattle has anywhere to build up to. Like we're, we're building upwards, but in terms right. of like a spatial out area, you're running into other suburbs. So when you're talking about 22%, and you're talking about just the Seattle city itself. It's like, where are those people actually living then? Yeah. And I, I think a lot of it, honestly, I mean, you mentioned this a little bit, but as the city gets bigger, there's more that's going to be built for sure. And there is, I mean, South Lake Union is a perfect example of how that continues to grow and grow and grow. But people are also moving out to the suburbs. I mean, I'm one example of that where it's like, oh, I'm getting priced out from living in the city. I can buy a house for the same price as living in the city or, you know, from have a mortgage at the same price. 
And so if people start to grow, so, you know, surrounding cities like Renton and Kent and Tacoma, like all of these towns and cities are now growing bigger and bigger. And then people may be moving out of there and going out even further into the suburbs. Um, but but it, it affects this entire state, really, especially Western Washington, with how, you know, these big businesses like Amazon's, Boeing's and all of them um, have really kind of shaped this area. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. But in in the top 20 largest cities, Seattle is and this goes right in point with this. Seattle is actually the third smallest in square miles. <laughs> so it has 84 square miles and only uh, Washington, D.C. and San Francisco uh, are smaller in their proper cities interesting um yeah I, I i knew seattle was small in comparison but um but yeah it's it's really small compared to most other cities as of 2017 17 percent of seattle residents are born outside of the country we have a really strong pacific islander uh population here in the seattle area and um, so that that didn't necessarily surprise me, but you know, I, I would venture to say, and I don't have comparisons to other places, but a lot of the the coastal states probably have more of this, and Seattle especially is probably one of the higher ones. But yeah, so twenty three percent of people in Seattle work in some type of tech. Um, I, that didn't surprise me either. Um, I, I actually thought it might be higher than that, but there's a lot of different types of jobs out there. We talked about the housing market too. So the median prop- property value in Seattle is uh, $758,000, which is 3.3 times larger than the national average. Um, so it's it's pricey now to live in Seattle and or, or the areas around it. But um, because there's so many people, they're trying to get those houses or, or apartments and uh, it just drives the price up pretty quickly. But about 45% of the housing units in Seattle were occupied by their owner, which also um, is, well, very different than the national average. It's um, of 63.9%. So it's almost 20% less are, are owning houses, and that's almost a direct correlation to the high prices, So or just to buy uh, at a high price. And then uh, some some couple interesting ones. So the tallest building in Seattle is Columbia Center, which is 76 stories uh, and rises three or sorry 937 feet, and that was completed in 1985. And uh, I was curious on the I'm I'm a I almost said I'm a foodie. I'm not a foodie. I just really like food. But see, so I wanted to pull some numbers on on the food element. So Seattle has the fourth highest is the fourth highest city in the world for total restaurants per capita, which I thought was really interesting. Obviously, we're a small city with a lot of people, so that's one of the reasons why. But basically, there is one restaurant for every 220 people, and I wanted huh. to throw a comparison out there. I don't know how much you know about Istanbul, but Istanbul is a very large city. It has about 15 million people living in it, which is, you know, about 20 times or so higher than what Seattle is. And it has 3,400 restaurants, which is about the same as what Seattle has. So they're like, it's, it's insane. And, and you look at New York, New York is about, 
has about three three times less ratio than than what Seattle has. Um, so we 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 like our food out here, which is pretty great. I like it. There's a lot of options, and or we uh, just don't know how to cook. Well, maybe that's part of it too. We're we're just lazy. You don't cook. We're all learning now, right? We're all you have to figure uh, it out. I don't know. Takeout's now. still takeout's still well, a thing. That's, that's true. That is true. But yeah, um, and uh, everybody talks about Seattle being you know the top place for coffee. Uh, a lot of places say in the world. We're actually you know by that same you know logic. We're we're the fourth uh, highest for coffee with about um, one coffee place per 2,300 residents. I, well, my Alyssa and I would always joke that if you're in Seattle though, every single block there is a Starbucks. It's like when you walk around, you go somewhere, I, I, you can't go on a two minute walk in Seattle without seeing probably three Starbucks, um, especially in like the downtown areas. Um, they're just everywhere. Um, and then you have your little mom and pop coffee places, which are also everywhere. A couple more. So Washington State Ferries uh, was the largest ferry operator in the United States. And it's the fourth largest ferry system in the world, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, we we are port city, as you said. So a lot of, a lot of boats. Um, speaking of some water, the Evergreen Point floating bridge aka the 520 bridge uh for those in seattle that know this one this is the one that has a toll which i try to avoid because it's a toll <laughs> bridge um, but uh but it's it's a bridge that connects seattle to the eastern suburbs of bellevue and kirkland um, it has a total length of 15,580 and a floating section that spans 7,710 feet which I didn't know that there was a floating section. Um, and this makes it the longest floating bridge in the world. Which I, I did also, know that. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Maybe it's worth that toll. Uh, I still won't take it. Have you taken it ever? Yes, I have. Okay. You know, when you're work, when you're running late to, you know, someplace, uh, I will, uh, I will make an exception and pay the couple bucks to, go over the bridge but i it, it hurts my soul and uh another world record uh i didn't realize this maybe you did thinking of of the sports world so the largest structure by volume to be demolished by explosives was the kingdom yep uh, in 2000 and so that was 19.8 million cubic meters or 70 million cubic feet and uh, yeah, so that that obviously, if you don't know, the kingdom was the home of the Seahawks and the Mariners for many years. I had no idea that I knew it was big, uh, but I didn't realize that it was the largest structure ever to be demolished by explosives. Yeah, and the um, the anniversary of that is actually today when we dropped this podcast, the twenty sixth. Oh yeah, nice. Twenty years ago. Um, not bad. And then my my last thing, I mean, everybody talks about it, but I have to address it. We average 71 sunny days a year, um, which I don't think is very great. Um, and that is mainly because we have two things. We have the what I think is the best place. I've probably mentioned this in the past. I think we have one of the best places in the country 
to be in the summertime. It's, it feels like it's sunny every day. It's 75 degrees. You have so much to do. Uh, but if you think about it, you know, that's most like if we get 70, 71 sunny days, most of them are happening in that three month period. And so we get a lot of overcast for the other nine months of the year. And, you know, when the sun comes out, I, it's very common in Seattle. The people come out. You just people are just out and about doing things because they're, you know, they've been in hibernation, I guess, otherwise. But but yeah, so that was it. Yeah, I uh, 70 what do you say 76 73 Seven, 71, 71 71 71 seems low. Uh I, yeah. I I do think that's low in terms of now that may be like sunny as in it has to be more than like, you know, 50% of the day. Uh yeah. it has to be sunny or 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 partly sunny and it can't be partly cloudy. But I mean, like today, the sun did come out today, right? And, but and, I wouldn't constitute today as a sunny day. No, no, I wouldn't either. But I, I just it, it, the sun did come out, so it's not like the sun's not coming out for the other, you know, two hundred ninety days or whatever it is. It, it is something that you know people. I think the the sun is is a good indicator of what it's like in Seattle. People always think it rains a lot when it really doesn't rain that much. It's just gray a lot. Uh, in terms of actual amount of rain, I, I don't have the exact numbers, but we're, we're not that high on the list in terms of actual Seattle itself. You know, it, it we don't get massive amounts of rain when it rains like some other areas. So totals wise, we're kind of on par with other areas. Well, even here, here's an interesting thing. I just, cause I, I, I heard the same thing and I, I know that there's uh validity to that, but even just this. So the, the largest cities where it rains or snows more than 130 days each year, Seattle is the sixth city with 149 days. You have Rochester, New York, Buffalo, Portland, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, all get more days during the year where, it's either raining or snowing. Yeah. Like, to me, that that's that's crazy because people put Seattle as like the rainy city, and yes, it does rain. I think what Seattle is really should be known for is almost like the cloudy city. Yeah, the because, gray, gray. Yeah, yeah, the, the gray city because it's just there's not the sun will sometimes peak out, but for the most part, it's you go the winter months are are, are rough in Seattle. It's just a lot, mostly it's a lot of overcast and, and just getting used to that. Um, but, but we don't get a, a ton of rain and I, 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 I'm with you too. I think, I think we're like in total rainfall. We're not even in the top like 20 or anything. Cause yeah. even when it does, when it rarely rains a lot. It's just kind of a miss. Yeah. All right. Well, we need to jump into our friendship test cause we're running. We're talking a lot about Seattle. We just become best friends. Yep. All right, Justin. So with our friendship tests, you know, what do you like most about Seattle? I mean, for me, it's uh, it, this, this place is so unique. We have the city that is great. It's got all these amenities. It's got all this stuff going on. It's got great tourist attractions, all that other stuff. Really cool vibes, different neighborhoods, all of that I love. But then it's also the proximity to the surrounding things around it. So, you know, one of my favorite things about Seattle is that, you know, Mount Rainier is in 50% of the pictures you take. 
when you're, you know, going around and taking pictures in Seattle. Well, based um, off of your sunny hours. day thing, I, I don't know that it would be 50%, but. Okay. For 50% <laughs> of those sunny days. <laughs> but like, and, and it's just, I mean, I remember I used to, you know, we, we uh, my, my office is in Renton. And when I would drive to work from Seattle, I would every single day look to see if I could see when I'm taking, um, you know, the route to Renton to see uh, if the mountain's out. And you, a lot of times you could see it and it's just amazing. It never gets old. It's amazing that you can live in a city or live around a city and have literally mountains that are within driving distance. And that doesn't even include all the hiking options and, and things to do in nature around this area. It just, I, I, I genuinely, and, and I feel like I might be biased because I've, I've moved here and I've, I've surrounded myself with people here. But at the same time, I genuinely feel like this is one of the best cities in the country. And, and in the summer, I, I think I, I, would, I would rather go nowhere else. I'd rather stay in Seattle um, if I could stay in Seattle during the summer months rather than going to even, I mean, I, I love the beach places and all that other stuff. Hawaii's great, all that other stuff. But I just, I comfortable 75 to 80 degrees and sunny. It's just perfect. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I, I think the moderate climate is, is something that's very appealing about Seattle. I, I personally don't really care if the sun is out and as long as I'm prepared for the rain, I'm good with the rain. So I actually love to go out on the days where there are less people and it's raining or it's, it's overcast. And you know, Seattle is not all out because the sun's out because then it's a little bit more enjoyable for me. So I, I would agree <laughs> that the, the moderate climate, um, the ability to get to snow, if you want snow, you know, in, in about an hour, uh, you could, you know, it's a little bit farther to get to a, a good beach. Um, and not that I really want to get in the water on the ocean beach of, of, uh, you know, the, the Washington coast, but, um, it's a little bit farther, but you know, it's still a cool area over there. There's just so much to do around here that, that I think that what's appealing to me about Seattle is, is really what's outside of Seattle, not really even what's inside of Seattle. All right, Brian. So, Talking about Seattle, there's plenty of landmarks and tourist attractions and, and places to go in Seattle. What What's your favorite landmark in all of that? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, as far as like formal landmarks, does Cary Park count as one? Yeah, I would count it. Okay, so I'm going to go Cary Park. So Cary Park's, uh, it's on an it's in an area called Queen Anne. And it's this hill that's just north of, of downtown Seattle. And it's just this really tiny park, but the, it has like this amazing view of the city. Uh, you can see the Space Needle. You can see uh, the arena. You can see the, um, you know, baseball and the football stadiums. And, and you can see all of downtown. And if the mountain is out, you can see that in the backdrop. I think that's probably my favorite spot. If, if, you know, it's my one that when people come to town, I have to take them to Cary Park. Okay. Yeah, I actually, uh, funny you say that. I actually had Cary Park as my number one. And I I love Cary Park. I think it's spectacular. There, That's where you can really 
you know, people say that, uh, was it Frasier's, uh, if you've ever seen Frasier, the skyline of Frasier from that show, because it takes place in Seattle, is like the Seattle skyline. Interesting thing about Cary Park. But, uh, but it's just always beautiful views there. I ended up changing my mind, um, and I changed to Pike Place Market. And the reason why I say that is because when we lived in the city and we were on um, we were in Belltown, which is literally five minute walk from from Pike's Place Market. We were like right by the water, easy, easy walk to get there. We used to frequent that place all the time. And there's just some fond memories of just being kind of a, a tourist, but living there and going through and, and treating the market, you know, it, it just like, there's always some interesting stuff to look at and go to. And, and now, you know, we've gone through it so many times, you know, the, you know, the vendors, you know what a lot of them are selling, but there's still always this kind of like fun moment to it. And uh, I don't know, I've always just really liked uh, Pike's Place Market. Yeah, it's a good one. And especially, I like the new additions that they're doing and they're finally kind of updating some of the areas, um, yeah. you know, and and really bringing it into, you know, the, the 21st century because it was getting a little run down and a lot of those areas needed to be updated. So um, there's there's definitely some areas that are, are better and, and more along the lines of what the Seattle vibe is nowadays in terms yeah. of, in terms of like a restaurant or a bar, uh, in Seattle, is, is there one go-to that you have? So I, I, when we lived in the city, we had two places that we often went to. And that was this place called Belltown pub, um, which was just, you know, very traditional, nothing crazy to it. And then, there was actually um, another place called Local 360, which all of its ingredients were from 360 miles around um, and just really love that place. Unfortunately, that place I've heard just closed because of everything going on. And they actually had to like close their doors, not just like close temporarily, uh, which is really a, a big bummer. But actually for me, um, with all that said, those were like the places we frequented. My favorite place in Seattle, and I might have mentioned this in a previous podcast, I don't remember, but it's this place called Crepe de France, or Crepe de France, and it is a little crepe, crepery, I guess I would say, in in Pike's Place Market, and it's, it's, it's tucked Pike, away. Pike Place so Market, by the way. Pike Place Market, sorry. Pike Place Market. It's tucked away, and the you wouldn't really know to go there unless you're looking for it, but it ha- they have the best crepes I've ever had. Um, I've gotten crepes in France. Yeah, they're better here. It's, it's just great. And, and so we didn't frequent it as much just because it was a lot of sugar and a lot of, you know, unnecessary uh, indulgence. But, um, but when we go into the Seattle and it's around breakfast time, you better believe, you know, we're going to make a trip to, to Crepe de France. So I love that place. What about you? So mine's actually a little Italian place that's, uh, uh, it's actually hard to find. It's called Il Terrazzo. Uh, it okay. has the best Italian pastas and foods that I have ever had. It is so good. Uh, uh, unbelievable oh. good. Yeah, it's kind of 
Pioneer Square-ish, which is down by the stadiums and all that stuff. It, it's kind of in a weird location, like a back alley, but it's like this super nice, you know, restaurant, a nice sit-down restaurant. But just to like actually find it, you would never know it was there unless you know it's there. Interesting. Il, is it Il Terrasso Carmine? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just looked it up. This uh, this looks pretty cool. I like the vibe of it. Yeah. It, yeah. It's a cool little place. Uh, really good food, and uh, yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Nice. So, and then last question before we dig into our delusional thinking. There's a lot of great musicians and celebrities that have come through uh grew up in seattle is it do you do you have a favorite that kind of reps reps seattle yeah that's a tough question that's a really tough question um like are you saying seattle itself like like actual seattle yeah like the the area you know associates themselves with this area Hmm. Uh, and if you don't have one that's fine I mean, I guess I guess the go-to right now would probably be Chris Pratt. Yeah, that that's probably the go-to for this area, you know, popular actor right now, and and from I think Lake Stevens, right? I think he's from yeah. up north. Yeah, bit. but you know, he claims Seattle. That that that's got to be my yeah. I I kind of. I'm copping out on that one with that answer, but well, that's okay. Cause that's my favorite. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I, okay, I take I it love, back. I love Chris Pratt. I, uh, had the pleasure of meeting him at, uh, at an event and he is a genuinely good person. Uh, at least I, I feel that way. I just, he's, he's an awesome person and he loves repping the Seattle area. A couple other people, Joel, Joel McHale, uh, Rain Wilson. Those are those are some guys like my three favorite comedies. Weirdly enough, have people that are from Seattle. So that's The Office, Parks and Rec, and Community. Um, and so the, so, something about breeding comedians in this area is pretty pretty cool. But uh, but yeah, I I just Chris Pratt's awesome. I I love everything about him, and uh, definitely have a a little man crush on him. All right, well, let's uh, jump into some delusional thinking. You really are crazy. All right, Justin, so uh, this week for delusional thinking, uh, we talked a little bit about the monuments and, and some of the iconic places in Seattle. And and for this week's delusional thinking, you have to select one of these monuments that is going to be, you know, altered in some way and and almost uh manipulated so we we have the space needle and similar to what you might see in men in black uh that's actually going to turn into a real spaceship and, and take off the fremont troll is going to break out of the stone and uh come to life and, and you know just still live under the the fremont bridge but it's actually going to come to life or we have the gum wall, the famous gum wall that people put their gum on. Uh, that's actually going to turn into like this Willy Wonka style wall that you can almost get free gum from. And, you know, it, it's kind of this everlasting gum supply for the city. If you ever need a piece of gum, just go to the gum wall. What are your thoughts? What, what Which one do you want to see become real? So first off, I lo- I'm loving this question. I think there's there's some 
some good thought here. Before I give you my my initial thoughts, um, real quick for those who aren't from the area, I mean, we talked about maybe a little bit of this, but obviously the Space Needle, that was a World Fair thing that's been here. That's the most iconic thing with Seattle, right? Fremont Troll, as you said, like he he lives under a, a bridge in Fremont, which is a neighborhood of Seattle. Um, but he he's like has a uh, was it a Volkswagen Beetle, yeah. I think, mm-hmm. uh, in his hand. Um, fully made or chiseled, I guess, out of stone and sand or whatever, and super weird. Like Fremont as a neighborhood is super quirky, and and that's a, one of the quirkiest parts of it. Um, and then the gum wall, as you said, is like right by the uh, by Pike Place Market, and um, it's just people go and put their gum. They chew their gum. They put it on the wall. It sounds gross. It is gross, but it looks really cool, and it's tourist attraction. So. Um, now all of these things potentially coming coming to life. I will I'll give you my thoughts. So the space needle coming to life and taking off and doing anything would freak me out. <laughs> uh, I uh, have a healthy fear of aliens, and uh, while I've never seen an alien, I, I'm skeptical skeptical to think that there isn't any, um, and so like something like that happening i would think it's like okay this is the end of the world you know we're going to be taken over by aliens like it could just go very south very quickly so that freaks me out i don't like thinking about that but uh but that's my thought on that the uh fremont troll is interesting he would be a nuisance like no one would go by that area but i also think that he would kind of stay to his area because trolls typically don't wander off they just kind of protect their space yeah. at least from what we know about trolls yeah but he'd probably kill a bunch of people i mean people are gonna you know test it out and go over there like he's gonna hit somebody with either that car or some like weapon of of some sort he with could, a could be hammer. a good troll he could be a good troll he could be a good troll that is that is a fair point i'm i'm uh stereotyping him as all trolls are bad, he might have caught we're... that Volkswagen bug that you know maybe it was was craning off the bridge and he caught it and he's putting it down safely. Oh yeah, that could be. I'm going to venture to say he's bad though. <laughs> I just think he's bad. Okay. Um, so that's that one, and then the the gumball, the Willy Wonka style. So I'm, I'm, I've pictured this. I think that is obviously the most positive of all these things. I mean, how cool would it be to just get the gum? from that wall i think a lot of people would it would be fun to see every time i'm in seattle i'd go there to get some gum why not so i like that premise i don't think i would i don't think after going to it one time that i would want to do it anymore and so it'd kind of be like a i don't know or i guess it would lose its its uniqueness the gum wall would yes really yes whereas these other two solutions are like game changers. Like they, there's a legitimate like two-story tall troll that wanders Seattle. That's insane. Like people would come to see this and take pictures of this troll because it's never, you know, been done in in the history of the world. None of this stuff, I guess, has been. But but that would be cool. The space needle coming to life I, terrifies me, but it would be a game changer. And because of all of that, and as I ramble on this, 
my vote is actually for the Fremont Stroll. Wow. And I think ha- that would be a cool, iconic thing. I don't think it would gira- – it will, it will be a very unique and epic thing to this city to have a troll living in it. People yeah. come and see it. But then it also – like, I don't think it's going to, like, scare me too much because I'm like, ah, oh, it's just a – it's just a troll. Like if we needed to take out the troll, we got enough, you know, power to take them out. But uh, we as commutatively, uh, but like I, I would just stay a little bit far away from that area, but I like the, the idea of the troll. Huh, going interesting. That's, that's, that's yeah. Point. Yeah. So I, I, so I would say that is the last thing that I would want to happen of those three. Uh, interesting. Yeah. I, I, so the space needle and the uh you know alien spaceship coming to life and and all of that you know being a little bit of part of men in black might be kind of cool uh you know it, it might uh, uh kind of well there might be conspiracy theories i'm sure there are conspiracy theories around the space oh, needle definitely. right now anyways but you know it would put them you know it would make them true so that may be kind of cool the only problem with that is that if they're gone, they might be gone, gone. And then it's kind of this weird, like looking shape, you know, like the, <laughs> the saucer is off of the pedestal. And yeah. so it'd kind of be this weird looking thing. Um, so that, that might be kind of weird. Does that, does that not worry you at all? If that just flew, flew away? You know, you know, the other thing is people might not see that it flew away. It, it very well could be that nobody sees it and it takes off at night and there's like, you know, bits and pieces of, of surveillance footage. And so you don't really know what actually that happened. That would to it. scare me more. Yeah. Then you don't know yeah. where it went. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but I'm going to, I'm a big gum chewer. I'm a big gum chewer. So I'm going to have to go with oh. the Willy Wonka style gum wall. I think that would just be so cool to be able to, to walk up to, a wall and be able to just like grab a handful grab a wad of of gum and you know obviously it it would be clean and all of that and sanitary um sure you know because it's it's willy wonka and right it's a unique wall yeah everything's great there so i think i'm gonna have to go with with the last choice there and you know eat or chew as much gum as i possibly want every time i want to uh, you know, into Seattle, I probably have to stop every time just to get a piece of gum. But you know, interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm bringing a, a troll to life, and you're getting a realistic gum wall. Congratulations. Yeah. 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 Well, well, I I can't wait for maybe I'll meet Willy Wonka. Maybe, as long as my troll doesn't get there first and destroy your wall. Yeah, he's gonna stay under the bridge. He doesn't like going outside <laughs> the bridge. True. True. Um, cool. Well, we uh, I'm sure we talked well over our, our usual mark, but... Uh, We're getting but longer and longer. I know. I think these calls tend to be a little bit longer. I don't know. Or we're just getting longer. We just... We don't... We don't care about you guys anymore. We just want to talk. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard with the calls because yeah. then then you don't know where we're kind of at. And yeah, yeah. Interrupting each other. So, yeah. It's hard. But that's all right. We, hopefully, you, if you've made it this far, you've hopefully enjoyed the podcast. And 
um, you know, we're, we're intrigued by the potential of doing, you know, in the future, doing other cities as a topic. So if you have a city that we want or any topic, really, but but if you have a city that you want us to deep dive into or if you're from a city and you think you can be an expert about it, let us know and we'll, we can figure some way to, you know, get you on and, and be a guest. But um, but anyway, thank you for tuning in. Uh, you know, subscribe as always to Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. And uh, don't forget to, to send us a like and a follow on uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're at the Quest for One Hundred or at for Quest for One Hundred podcast on those. Um, but uh, appreciate your time. Yeah, another quest from the quarantine is complete. Until yeah, next time down. on the Quest for One Hundred. Thank you.